Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. The meeting of the families, world gathering of the families, comes after two years when the church has been rather uh, inactive in many parts of the world. This week, we're bringing you updates on all things family. The Vatican's World Meeting of Families is this week in Rome, there have been some changes to marriage preparation, and Jerry has a new interview with the Vatican's Prefect for Laity and Family Life. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from hot and humid Rome, Colleen. How's everything going over there? Well, the tourists are back, the city, the taxi drivers, the hotels, the restaurants are very happy. Business is going. And our house was bombarded yesterday with phone calls to know if the Pope was resigning. Yeah, there was a tweet that went viral from Megyn Kelly, who's an American Fox News anchor, who actually is part of the throng of tourists coming to Rome right now. And she heard from her tour guide around the Vatican that it was very unusual that there were all of these cardinals here. And it was unusual that there was a priest or something giving a blessing in the Sistine Chapel. Anyway, from all of this, she surmised that the Pope must be resigning, which I think she had probably just seen some of the news stories that have been circling the last few weeks, but it's really strange. Really, it's unbelievable that this story made news. But, you know, I could give you an even better one, Colleen. What's that? When John Paul II was sick, yeah, he was in his room and somebody passed St. Peter's Square riding a bike at about 10.30 at night and saw the light in John Paul II's study window. And so it concluded the Pope must have died. <laughs> Because the light was on? And the next thing I got was a call from Australia, television in Australia. Could I confirm the Pope had died? Oh, my gosh. And it was like a headless chicken running around. <laughs> but I really think that the old BBC advice should be really taken seriously. You either have direct personal evidence of the news you're putting out, or you have two independent sources who have such evidence. Right. But actually, the real reason that there were all these cardinals in the Vatican is what we're going to talk about this week, which is that these cardinals are there, besides their usual reasons for being in the Vatican, because the World Meeting of Families is happening in Rome this week. And then the Vatican also issued new guidance on marriage preparation, which said that couples should go through a year-long program before getting married in the church. And then also the Vatican's Office of Laity, Family, and Life has seen a few big reforms since it was founded in 2016. And to learn more about all this, you went straight to the top of that dicastery. You interviewed Cardinal Kevin Farrell, who is the prefect of the Vatican's dicastery for Laity, Family, and Life. And appropriately enough, you did this interview with your wife, Elisabetta. So 
let's talk about these news stories through the lens of your interview. First off, the world meeting of families. So for people who might not remember the last couple of these that happened in Dublin and I think 2018 and Philadelphia a few years before that, what is the world meeting of families? Well, the World Meeting of Families was something that was started under John Paul II in 1994. The idea was to focus on the importance of family life and the importance of encouraging support for families and how the church should do this, Mm -hmm. and also bringing groups of families together from different parts of the world. And so, for example, as Cardinal Farrell told us, that in Philadelphia you had maybe a million at the Pope's Mass, maybe more. But you had about 20,000 people who had signed in, enrolled, paid, and participated in this pastoral and theological discussions about the family, about marriage. And then Cardinal Farrell said in Dublin, you had 35,000 people. But his point was kind of that most people are coming to see the Pope at the Mass, right? Yeah. He said you cannot judge the world meeting of the family by the numbers that turn up for the vigil and the Pope's closing Mass, because 99.9% of the people come to see the Pope. Not to come to these theological discussions. Yes. And he said, what really are we bringing thousands and thousands of people, couples, families together for? What's the purpose of it? And he said that they've done a review and they've come to the conclusion that really this gathering doesn't impact on the countries from which these people come. And he said, we have to rethink this. And so this year, they have changed considerably the structure, the model of the world meeting of families. So what's it going to look like? From the 22 to the 26th of June, about 2,000 people from different countries, different continents, who are directly involved in marriage preparation, counseling, assisting couples in marriage. Most of them are married couples. So it's still in some way a world meeting of families, even if it's mostly a world meeting of people who work with families. And it's very interesting because Cardinal Farrell has many times said that those who should help the families are married couples in the first place. Right. Not a priest who's got very idealistic ideas, but has no experience of married life. And one of the points that Cardinal Farrell made is that too often in terms of evangelization, but also in terms of work with families, the church is still working with models devised back in the 1950s before the Second Vatican Council. And he says, we're not answering the problems of today. That makes sense. So one way in which the Vatican is trying to respond to some of these problems of today, the the breakdown of marriages, the high rates of divorce, is that Pope Francis wrote this new document that came out last week detailing what he called a catechumenate for couples getting married. So basically, he wants the marriage prep process to look like preparation for other sacraments like baptism, confirmation, holy orders. He said he wants it to include, quote, all of the steps of the sacramental path, time of preparation for marriage, its celebration, and the years immediately thereafter. When I hear about this, I kind of like this idea. I think it's smart, especially to have that guidance coming after marriage. I think a lot of the marriage preps like focuses on the day of the wedding, you know, the sacrament. But then afterwards, you're kind of left alone to figure it out. It, it would be nice, I think, to have some guidance there. But yeah, what did Cardinal Farrell have to say about why they're making these changes? 
Well, basically, what I understood was that, you know, if you go in to study for the priesthood, you have to do five, seven, five, whatever number of years. Yeah. If you go into religious life, you have to be prepared. And he said, the marriage vocation is equally as important, but is not given the same serious attention by the church. Yeah. I want to ask you, you know, when this was announced, since I think it's one of these things kind of like liturgy where everyone has an opinion on it because a lot of people have been through it personally. I saw a lot of criticism coming out about this decision to kind of beef up the marriage prep program from people who say, well, this is just more hoops for Catholics to jump through to get married in the church. And it's already so difficult to get married in the church. Most people who go through this want to have a church wedding aren't necessarily mass-going Catholics, so this will just encourage them to, you know, not bother with a church marriage. So I don't know, what do you make of that? Do you think that's something that they're considering in the Vatican? Well, I think, first of all, you've got to understand that the thrust of this is not that priests do the preparation. It's that married couples, people, as the Cardinal has said, who have walked the walk, who are well-prepared, who've gone through their own difficulties, can help other people. I think it makes sense, and from the church's point of view, since you've so much breakup in marriage, one has to ask, you know, how is this happening? Why is it happening? Mm -hmm. And that's the second part of this reform, right? So Cardinal Farrell told you that part one of the marriage prep reform process is to prepare people for the sacrament, but part two, which he wants to finish within a year, is about accompanying couples whose relationships are in crisis. Yes, he said it's for couples who have separated but not divorced. That's what he put it. And to see how you can accompany them, how they can be helped. Because very often there are children involved and the whole kind of world collapses. Yeah, right. And uh, people quite often don't know how to deal with it. And not everybody has a staggering amount of money in the bank that you can deal with lawyers. Pope Francis has been onto this from the beginning of his pontificate. From his own pastoral experience, he has seen all this variety of marriage situations, mm -hmm. and he wanted somehow the church to come and address, help, make its contribution to the real-life situation of peoples. And Farrell made it very clear. He said, we don't want people just coming in with idealistic concepts who have no sense of what the reality is on the ground. Right. Which has been something that, like, I think bothers me a lot about how marriage prep and, like, how it's framed in the U.S., which is that a lot of it's based on John Paul II's theology of the body, which is very much like laying out an ideal that doesn't look much like your average regular life. I don't know, Jerry, maybe you and I could talk about, you know, this is a chance for a little intergenerational exchange, right? I just got married in 2020. You've been married for a long time. What kind of changes would you like to see in how the church relates to married couples? I think what Cardinal Farrell is saying and what the Pope has been advocating is that those who have experience of marriage can more easily help those who are in difficulty. Those who don't experience marriage have a much greater problem to try to understand. Yeah. I think that the fact that he pushed for the Synod on the Family, the first Synod that he called as Pope. Right, 2014, I think, right? And then he had two synods, not one, and he sought to get many, many people around the world involved. And then he produced this document, Amoris Laetitia, which really there's some most beautiful pieces in it. And I don't know how many people have read the document. 
Yeah, it's really, really pretty. We had to actually read it as part of our marriage prep. <laughs> you had to read it as part of your marriage prep. Mm-hmm. And it was really good. I don't know, but I know when Elizabeth and I read it, we were really moved by, by some of it. It's so beautiful. Totally. But also, Francis is dealing with reality. Yeah, and I think that's what I find so encouraging about this change to the marriage prep program is that it's grounded in reality. Like the Jesuit who did our marriage preparation was great, but I probably learned a lot more from talking to you (laughs) about what it's like to be married than I have from reading beautiful documents, right? So I find this to be, I don't know, encouraging. But anyway, to wrap up this story, how this reform gets applied is going to vary around the world. I think we can look at both of these stories together about the changes to marriage prep and about the world meeting of families and the changes to it this year as an effort to get more people on board with Amoris Laetitia and with this vision of marriage that's willing to take into account sometimes the messy realities of what human relationships look like. So you and I are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the reforms that Cardinal Farrell has been making in the Vatican's Family Life Office and why he thinks he could be the last cleric in charge of that dicastery. Stay with us. Hey, Inside the Vatican listeners, it's Colleen. As we near the end of another great season of Inside the Vatican, we want to hear from you. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please help us out by taking a brief survey about Inside the Vatican. We want to hear about you. What are your questions and curiosities? What do you want to hear more of in the show? Your feedback is incredibly valuable in helping us plan the next season of Inside the Vatican. To take the survey, just visit the show notes on this episode. There you'll find a link, and it only takes a minute. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for taking our survey. Cardinal Farrell took charge of this dicastery for laity, family, and life in the Vatican when it was first created in 2016. It came from the merger of a few offices in the Vatican. And since then, he's made some major changes, including making the dicastery look a lot more like the people who its work focuses on. So of the dicastery's 37 staff members, only four of them are priests. Jerry, can you put this in context for us? Like, is that an unusual lay to cleric ratio in a Vatican office? Yes, I was trying to find after the interview with him to go back to the Annuaria, the Vatican yearbooks. And I think you would have found that perhaps before he came, you would have seven, eight, or nine priests in the family dicaster. Today, the family unit is run by a married woman. And so is the laity unit, right? That office has two women undersecretaries. Yeah, yeah. And this is very significant. He said, I felt that a unit dealing with the family, it should have people who know about the family in it. He had to do battle in the Vatican. I've heard this from other people. He had to do battle to get the two women appointed as effectively running the departments. There was resistance because these people were never employed in the Vatican before. They had done some work, consultancy, but they were never employed. Right. So Cardinal Farrell appointed these two women as undersecretaries, Gabriella Gambino in Family and Life, and then Linda Gisoni in the laity section. And he said he said that he faced resistance, like you said, because they hadn't worked in the Vatican before. I mean, it's hard for me not to imagine that a man who had not worked in the Vatican before might have been received differently. 
Well, he hadn't worked in the Vatican before as well, the Cardinal himself. He'd never worked a day in the Vatican before Francis pulled him out of Dallas. Against his will, he almost dragged him in. He used the word dragged me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Francis said, no, no, I want you. Because in Dallas, apparently he had, in his courier offices, he had practically all lay people running it. Mm -hmm. And Francis knew about this somehow. And he said, this is the kind of person I want. But it is a sign of things to come. Yeah, and Cardinal Farrell hinted at that in your interview, right? So looking at these four priests who do work in that office, two of them are holding the top two positions, the prefect, Cardinal Farrell, and the secretary. And Cardinal Farrell thinks that with the new reform of the Roman Curia, which opens the top Vatican positions to lay people, at least in theory, he says he could be the last cleric in charge of this dicastery. Yes, I, I think he's looking ahead, and this is what Francis with this new constitution, that's the, let's say, the charter for the Roman Curia. And it's very significant that unlike the document, Pastor Bonus, the charter produced by John Paul II, John Paul II's document looks, if I'm without offending anybody, it looked more clerical because you had a cardinal's head, a bishop as the secretary, mm -hmm. and then a priest as the undersecretary. Francis's document has no such thing. Right, right. He doesn't say there will be men or women, cleric or non-cleric. He has left the frontiers open. And so you can imagine that maybe 10, 20 years, the next pontificate or the one after that, the Roman Curia will not look like what it looks like today. And this is in keeping with what we were just talking about with marriage prep and with the World Meeting of Families, which is, again, this idea that lay people should be the ones who are running these ministries for lay people, right? Because they have this experience of marriage and family life that's different from the experience that a priest has. And this was the key thing that Francis did in the Constitution for the Reform of the Curia, mm -hmm. that you can have a position of responsibility, of authority in the Roman Curia without having to have become a priest Cardinal Farrell's other two big reforms in this dicastery have focused on lay movements. And I want to just give a real quick definition of what these are because they're not very popular in the U.S., but they're big in other parts of the world. They're lay-led groups of Catholics. You might have heard of Sant'Egidio or the Focolare, Communion and Liberation, the Neocatechumenal Way. All these are groups of Catholics that come together, usually for some kind of like service and prayer. Sometimes they live in community like the Focolare. And Cardinal Farrell's reforms to these groups are twofold. First, he's imposing term limits on the leaders of these movements. And second, for new movements, they used to just be approved by a bishop, but he wants bishops to now get approval from the Vatican to approve new lay movements. So, Jerry, I guess, easy question, why make these changes? Before I comment on why the changes, I think in the Anglophone world generally, the movements have not taken root in the same way as they have done in the Latin world, for example. Yeah, and I don't really know why. I don't know why either, but it is a fact. Perhaps the, the ones that have been most successful have been something like the Focolari. But th these movements, the vast majority of them started after the Second Vatican Council to help people, and there were younger people that were started these movements, to help people grow in the faith, experience community in the faith, experience a closeness together in the faith. So much so that John Paul II 
saw them as really the hope for the church. Yeah. Especially in, for example, in Europe where the parishes tended to be on decline and not attracting people, the movements attracted. Right. And there was a sense of belonging. You became a part of a movement. And of course, the risk was that sometimes the movements were seen as kind of the real Catholics uh-huh. and the ones in the parish were seen as really the laggards, if you wish. So why why rein it in now? Why these term limits? Why this closer? What was the problem? Mm-hmm. The movements often started around the personality of the founder. So Chiara Lubic for the Focolari, Kiko for the Neocatechumenate, Andrea Riccardi for the Sant'Egidio, mm-hmm. and Giussani for the Communion Liberation. Just to mention a few, Cardinal Farrell said there are 109 international lay ecclesial movements under the jurisdiction of the Vatican Department that he heads. And he said that one of the problems they noticed was the leadership never changed. Ah, okay. And today, if you look across many of the movements, you will find that people of 50s, 60s, perhaps even older, in the leadership position as they were 20 years ago. Yeah, people who joined this as younger people who are still in charge, sure. And they're not opening up space to the younger people to replace the leadership. Okay, so that explains the term limits. For the movements, the perception of Cardinal Carroll and those who reviewed it, and also the Pope, is that you are stifling the youth in the church and you're not opening spaces for the youth. And these movements are very powerful because some of them have a lot of members. And so they imposed term limits, and this produced a lot of resistance. Right. And Cardinal Farrell came under heavy fire from some quarters. But the Pope backed him. The second thing was that while an association of lay people or a movement can start in a local diocese, Mm -hmm. They're now insisting that bishops, before they give final approval to these, they should consult the Vatican. Because the Vatican has a lot of experience in this area and can suggest, is there a process of formation? Is there a proper structure? Is there a way of ensuring the leadership changes? Yeah, it seems like this centralization of this approval process, it's a response to this tendency for these groups to start as a cult of personality in some ways, or maybe tend towards being a cult of personality. By going through this Vatican approval system, you can make sure that there are proper checks and balances on the power and that the structure isn't just, you know, centered around one person. And I asked the Cardinal, I said, isn't this, the Pope is pushing decentralization, isn't this centralization? Yeah, right. And he said, no, because Hmm. it is there to consult. The final responsibility lies with the bishop. Ah, so the Vatican's just giving a recommendation. The Vatican, they're asking the bishops to consult, but then the bishop can decide, you know, I just don't agree with you go his way. And then he has to take responsibility for the consequences. So a lot going on with Cardinal Farrell, with his office, and with these reforms to laity and family life in the Vatican. So we'll keep our listeners up to date on what comes out of this World Meeting of Families this week, and obviously any new Curia appointments, because as Cardinal Farrell mentioned, he could be the last cleric who heads this office. We could be seeing a lot more appointments of lay people in the future. So, Jerry, I will talk to you next week for our last episode of the season. And in the meantime, if our listeners could fill out our listener survey linked in the show notes, we would really appreciate it so that we can prepare for next season. 
Well, what I'd like to hear from the listeners is, are there issues that they feel we don't touch on? Would they like to hear more explanations or some questions? Are they satisfied with the clarity of our explanations? There we go. So please tell us that in the listener survey linked in the show notes. Thank you, Colleen, and hope our listeners enjoy our chat. (laughs) Jerry, before we go, talking about family life, you have a special shout out to give this week. Yes, Juan Pablo celebrates his 17th birthday today. Your son, Juan Pablo. But unfortunately, he's not feeling so well. Oh, so special shout out to Juan Pablo. We hope you feel better. We're very grateful for your technical help on Inside the Vatican whenever Jerry records at home. And uh, yeah, happy birthday. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Audio engineering by Frank Tucson. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. To support our work here on Inside the Vatican, please purchase a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dilley. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.